is Wednesday, December 28th. I'm Scott Seidenberg. And I'm AJ Hoffman. Luca with a historic performance. JJ Watt hanging him up. Here comes the Vegas truth. This is straight out of Vegas. We are straight out of Vegas AM, your daily destination for sports conversation with a Vegas lean. Here's what you need to know to start your day. Luka Doncic has a historic night for the Mavericks. J.J. Watt announces his retirement from professional football. And bowl season continues. What is the Vegas lead? It has to be the miraculous win by the Dallas Mavericks last night against the Knicks, trailing by nine with 33 seconds left. This is the play that sent the game into overtime. Nothing shocks me about this game. And that drew rim. It's still loose. Look, they got it back. That was the call on Bally Sports as we bring in Mackenzie Rivers. Mac, forget about the end result. Let's just talk about the end 30 seconds of regulation first. Have you ever seen a comeback like that, what the Dallas Mavericks did to the Knicks? Yes, but this is unprecedented in NBA history because exactly the economy of what you're talking about. There's the game, and then there's the moment, both of which happened maybe once in a decade. Tracy McGrady, I remember very much growing up in December, you know, Kind of meaningless game, but hey, down by 10, 30 seconds to go. Tracy McGrady scored 13 points to somehow beat the Spurs by one. The difference is he ended up shooting 12 for 29, 30 points. Luka doubled that. 60 (laughs) points on 31 shots, 21 for 31. Only three players ever have scored 60 on better efficiency. And you might have heard of those guys like Wilt Chamberlain, not really taking a lot of jumpers, Carl Malone, stuff like that. Never seen a guard this efficient and capped it off with, you know, Reggie Miller, historic, legendary, stuff for the ages type moment. The win, 126-121, and Luka becomes the first player in history to post a 60-20-10 triple-double. He finished with 60 points, 21 dimes, and t- or 21 boards, right? Boards. 21 boards and 10 dimes. I mean, that is, that's video game numbers, yeah, it was 31 rebounds and assists. Take Will Chamberlain out. Take the before times out, George Mikan. Nobody's come close to 30 points or rebounds and assists with 60 points. The closest, Shaq in 2000 at 25, MJ in 1990 at 24, unprecedented by a mile. And I was surprised to hear 60 points is the, the new high this season in the NBA, but just barely, right? Yeah, Embiid had 59 in a pretty crazy game where he had 30 of 31 points for the Sixers in the fourth quarter. Legendary stuff. This shows why these best of the best players have so much more in the tank. It takes being down in the fourth quarter versus the Knicks for Luka to do this magical display. That's why the playoffs matter so much because they're in that top gear mode all the time. They have to be. By the way, the Mavericks win by five in overtime, 126-121. The Mavericks laying five in this game. Imagine that. You're, I mean, if you're a, a Knicks plus five holder, you're up nine with 33 seconds left. A push feels like a loss. If you are a Knicks plus four and a half holder. Oh, God. Yeah, first off, around. first off, Fez, Fez would call you a bozo. Yes. Exactly. Second of all, this, you should stop gambling. Oh, <laughs> what a painful, painful loss that Mackenzie, do we have the win percentage in the game? Like, when the Knicks are up by nine, I guess, with... 33 seconds left. I guess that's what it was on the clock. 33 seconds left. The Knicks are up by nine. What's the winning percentage for the Knicks and the winning percentage for the Mavericks? I'll give ESPN props. They're adjusting these probabilities to make more sense. 99.2% 
for the Knicks. So they're saying there was a chance about one in 500 <laughs> they could pull it off, and they did. Uh, it feels like that might be a little bit, a little bit short though. Like so it, not, one in five hundred feels like uh, maybe it's it's one twelve one oh three when Miles McBride made his second free throw. From that moment on, a Christian Wood three, followed by a turnover, a Luca steal, a Luca steal, then a Luca layup, followed by a foul. So he makes the N one. Okay, now that's six quick points. Then you had a foul, and a missed one of two free throws by Miles McBride. The Mavericks then come down. Dinwiddie makes a three-pointer. It's now 113-112. They outscored them 9-1 to yeah. in that span. Then you had two free throws by McBride, which made it a three-point game. And what do you do? You're up three? You, you foul. foul, of course. And then that was the final play that we played where Luka made the first free throw, Missed the second one intentionally. Ball tips around. He catches he it. He gets the rebound, of and course. And nails the shot. And uh, quickly actually had a shot to do a full full court uh, heave that, um, you know, wasn't that close. But no it was one close. was winning that game after Luka did the double clutch rebound and loader at the same time. I feel like live opportunity, there was no way the Mavericks were going to lose the game at that point. Let's talk about this, Mac. What does this do for the MVP odds for Luka? Where does he stand uh, amongst the, the top odds uh, for the for the MVP this year. So FanDuel reposted, and he has the third best odds. It ticks up. He was 5-1. to one, Now he's plus 480. I feel like that's the bookies making a little bit of adjustment before the uh, betters make a little bigger of adjustment. I'm predicting later on today is going to be 4-1. to one. He's going to be a co-favorite right along with Jason Tatum and Giannis. I would still bet him right now. And here's the thing. It used to be you have to be the number one team in your conference. Like 10 out of 15 years was the number one team in your conference. What Jokic is doing, putting up amazing stats on like the fourth or fifth team, that opens up the opportunity where they're not going to give it to Jokic the third time in a row, I don't think. He's the only person putting up stats close to what Luka's doing right now. So, yes, I agree. Four to one has value. Yeah, I'd bet on Luka to win the MVP. After this performance, oh, my goodness. And grab those numbers now because it's going to go away. Yeah, this is the idea that they came back from nine down with 33 seconds. And then for for him to have these kind of numbers at the end of the night, like you talk about a Heisman moment. Yeah, <laughs> right. this was very uh, this was a Heisman night last night for for Luca and the Mavericks. Mackenzie, elsewhere in the NBA, as we take a look at tonight's schedule for Wednesday, the Brooklyn Nets are in action. They're in Atlanta to take on the Hawks. The Nets, it it, it seems like, and I understand. You don't. No one's really paying that close attention to the NBA. I mean, they're going to start to now once football season comes to a close. I always say it's not me. It's not my saying. It's a, it's a popular saying that the NBA officially starts on Christmas. That's when people really start paying attention to the yeah. NBA. I feel like the Nets winning nine straight games has to be the quietest nine-game winning streak that we've seen. Indeed, it has to be. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Steve, Steve Nash was a very well-liked guy. And people said he was a scapegoat. Charles Barkley said he was a scapegoat when he was fired. So the fact that Kevin Durant, maybe the most uh, needy player in the NBA, got what he wanted, and they immediately turned around results, it, it, uh, it, it's not a great look for, uh, for those that don't like the player empowerment movement so much. But the flip side of the player empowerment movement, a guy that doesn't have what he wants right now is on the other side of this matchup, the Hawks. Everything you hear about Trey Young is how disgruntled he is with their coach McMillan, and he gets paid a lot of money. Seems like everybody else is on McMillan's side, but Trey Young gets paid a lot of money. So uh, something's going to come to a head there. Until then, cannot bet on the Hawks. I would continue to back the Nets here. Already seen this line move up from two and a half to five. I would still look at the road favorites. Have the Nets become like legitimate contenders in your mind now? Yeah, they've always had the offensive firepower, and the best defensive lineup includes Kyrie Irving, which is a sentence by itself. If Kyrie <laughs> Irving ever was in a best defense of anything, and Ben Simmons. So this new Three-headed monster actually makes sense where they still have the offensive firepower with another MVP co-favorite in Kevin Durant. And now they actually bring it together with Claxton and Simmons defensively, Joe, Jack Vaughn. Uh, yeah, making them a real contender. They've moved down from 18 to 1 to 10 to 1. I, I think there's a, a it's good e chance they're in the final four. It's even less than that. I'm seeing that they are the second favorite right now at 6 to 1 behind the Boston Celtics. Westgate is funny because I look at Westgate uh, almost every day. They've always been pessimistic on the Nets. So shop around. Uh, Go to the Westgate, make some money. I got to ask you about the Memphis Grizzlies, who you know a few a few days ago 
were in line to be the one seed in the West. They've now lost four out of five after getting blown out on Christmas by the Warriors. Last night, they get blown out at home by the Suns. They've now lost four out of five. Is there concern? Is something wrong with Memphis right now? A little bit. I think the fact that they're finally whole. They have Jaron Jackson Jr., who missed the beginning of the season. They have Desmond Main back. He hasn't really been playing great, but they have him back. Give him a couple games. Give him a week or so. Now that it's not all John Morant to kind of figure out where they stand. Because uh, the uh, parts are a little bit more than the sum right now. But, hey, that's that's what you get. When you get a new lineup, it takes a little while to gel. And the Nuggets now five straight wins, eight and two in their last ten. Is this same old, same old with the Nuggets? Great regular season, a team you can't trust in the playoffs? Another team that's whole. I think they have more potential than that. Jamal Murray looked pretty uh, like he's coming back from major injury at the beginning of the season. He's rounding into shape, and Jokic is as good as ever. Bulls, Bucks tonight. The Bucks. Uh... They have a good history against the Chicago Bulls, you'd say, right? Yes. Uh, I think it's like 16 out of 17, 17 oh out of 18. Uh, Scott, I remember you you recommended this. We were on a call with RJ, and then I made it a three-star play, and I'm like, wait a minute, who's the NBA expert here? But the Bucks to sweep the Bulls last year or to win in less than six games was a max star play for me. A lot of people were on it. You were on it. You recommended it. They just continue to beat this team. I call it the sharp elbows theory. Giannis he gets in the minds of certain opponents in the Central Division, teams like the Bulls and the Pacers. It's just clockwork. They go in and they win. The Bucks will beat the Bulls. One more team I wanted to ask you about, and they ended up losing last night to the Lakers, uh, but the Magic before that had won eight of their last nine. Is there something happening here in Orlando with this young team? Are, are they starting to figure things out a little bit, or is this just a, a nice burst in a season for a team that's inevitably going to be bad when it's all said and done? It's really encouraging that their improvement kind of started when Markel Fultz came back. He's shooting 58% on wide-open threes right now. That was his big bugaboo when he tried to change his shot coming out of college. But this was a former number one overall pick. He's got some potential. He's still pretty young. The fact that they're improving and he's playing well, it, it can't be a coincidence, and you got to be encouraged. Thanks, Mackenzie. As we go around the NFL, AJ, a couple of headlines and, and stories popped up from yesterday. How about the Broncos brass in their press conference announcing the firing of Nathaniel Hackett, talking about Russell Wilson and how he's fixable? It, 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 this was. I want to let you listen to this. I want to let the audience listen to this. This is Broncos owner and CEO Greg Penner and general manager George Patton on their quarterback. Decision to have Russell here was a long-term one. Uh, this season has not been up to his uh, standards or expectations. Uh, we saw some glimpses of it in the last uh, few weeks. He knows he can play better. We know he can play better. And, um, and we know he'll do the right work in the offseason to be ready for next year. Uh, I don't think we made a coaching move based on Russ. You know? That wasn't what it's all about. That's, why, that's not why we're getting a new coach to turn around Russ. It's about the entire um, organization. It's about the entire football team. It's just not one player. Uh, it's not whether Russ is fixable or not. Uh, we do believe he is. We do. That's uh, a term that you would not expect the guys running a franchise to say about the quarterback that they're essentially married to going forward. This is um, this can't feel good if you're a Broncos fan. Yeah, we think um, we think the quarterback that we just made the richest quarterback of all time is totally fixable. Like <laughs> this is a, this is a temporary problem we got here. Don't worry about it. It, it. He can be fixed. I don't like this at all. This this relationship is not good. It's it was failed. It was doomed to fail from the get go. And I don't know how it gets better. I don't know what head coach out there. This is the problem. There's no established head coach that wants this job. I mean, the Broncos defensive coordinator said, "Yeah, no, I'm good because his star is on the rise. If he takes over this offense, now that stink yeah. is on him so too. You, so you know what's going to happen is they're going to wind up hiring. Who says no? They're going to wind up hiring a new head coach, like a, like a first-time head coach, you which know who is that, not going to work. You know who I think they're going to hire? They're going to do what the Texans did when they're when they were in assured disaster mode, and they hired David Cully. They said, uh, "Why why throw big money at it? Because we're in a we're in a well, bad situation." They're going to hire a first year head coach. They're going to hire like a D'Amico Ryan's or somebody like that. That's going to be maybe a defensive minded head coach or whatever. Um, I, I just I don't see an established NFL head coach that comes in here 
that wants this job because I don't think that the Broncos are built for success with Russell Wilson at quarterback. Think about the run of head coaches that this team has had. I mean, with the exception of the, I mean, I guess it was like five years when they had John Fox and Gary Kubiak. Besides that, like since the Shanahan era, it's just been one or two year guys. It was Mm -hmm. McDaniels for a couple years. Disaster. Uh, John Fox, Gary Kubiak, they have their run. Obviously great. Since then, Vance Joseph, 11 and 21. Vance Joseph is having the time of his life. Vic, Do you remember that? Vic Fangio, <laughs> 19 and 30. Nathaniel Hackett, 4 and 11. Three total failure coaching hires in a row. Man, it, it feels like this next coaching hire is the most important in their history, arguably, because there's not any wiggle room. You, The quarterback that you have is the quarterback that you have. That can't change. So whoever takes this job, I know they say he's they don't need him to be fixed. Whoever takes this job has to fix Russ because if Russ plays at this level, mm-hmm. I don't care how good of a coach you are, this isn't a winning proposition. So I have an idea. Daryl Bevel. Okay. I mean, he was the longtime offensive coordinator for Pete Carroll with Russell Wilson during the time that they went to back-to-back Super Bowls, right? So, obviously, a guy who is very familiar with what Russell Wilson's capable of doing and a guy who right now is the passing game coordinator in Miami. Yeah. So, certainly, you know, has, a, has something to offer if you look at recent success. Like, hey, you know, I know I know Mike McDaniel's the head coach there, but it's, hey, look at what I've done with Tyreek and with Waddle and with Tua, and and I've built a good passing game here. I could bring that now to the Broncos, and I could turn Jerry Judy into Jalen Waddle. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's the reasonable hire for the Broncos. I think the Broncos have to go out and get someone who's had some success. I, I think it, it, like Daryl Bevel uh, when he was when he took over as the interim when they when Urban Meyer. Uh, was removed last year. He didn't have any success. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Daryl Bevel might have been the, the interim when the Lions fired their coach. So, and I, I'm, I don't have it in front of me. I would guess he didn't have any success there either. <laughs> I, I just feel like the, the the Broncos are, and the Broncos have the richest owner in the NFL. One and four with Detroit, one and three with Jacksonville. You, but I think he won both those the first games both times. You have the richest owner in the NFL. Go throw a mountain of money at Sean Payton. He's not taking that job. Sean Payton's going to be in L.A. You're still convinced he's going to be the Chargers coach? He might be the Rams coach. Okay, maybe that. He's going to be in L.A. But I'll tell you this. that when When this happened on Monday night, Staley says, I want to give the game ball to the guy. He's the reason we're all here. First playoff appearance. Dean Spanos, here's the game ball. It's for you. And they hugged. I said, oh, Scott, he's dead. That, that is dead. It's a dead bet. Well, well, then when Sean McVay retires, he becomes the head coach for the but Rams. Whoever it is, if, if it's not uh, Sean Payton, there's got to be a coach out there that you can throw the moon at and say, hey, we've got to have you. Because it can't be a maybe this guy works out, maybe it doesn't. They, this next hire has to be a home run hire for the Broncos. Jim Harbaugh. That's not the craziest idea. And Jim Harbaugh is a guy who's not in love with the way the, that Michigan is handling NIL. Uh, he's not. He, he feels like Michigan is not at the advantage that a lot of these other teams are at right now, and he's growing frustrated. Wouldn't shock me at all. McKenzie, let's run through the, the favorites. <laughs> That's not the answer. Let's run through the favorites to be the next head coach of the Denver Broncos. Peyton Manning, 75 to 1. He's not at the top of the list. He's <laughs> there, 75 to 1. Dan Quinn is the favorite. Even money plus 100. Jim Harbaugh, who you just mentioned, is 5 to 1. Sean Payton, 550. D'Amico Ryan's 8 to 1. Frank Reich, 10 to 1. And their defensive coordinator, El Giro Ivaro, 12 to 1. Uh, Daryl Bevel, who you mentioned, by the way, is a few spots down at 16 to 1. Yeah. Dan Quinn. I don't know. I mean, I guess Dan Quinn, I just, I've never thought Dan Quinn was a good coach. I think Dan Quinn had success in Atlanta because he had Kyle Shanahan with him. Yeah. And then Kyle (laughs) Shanahan left and it's like, oh, I forgot how to coach football. Like, I I don't think Dan Quinn is the answer. And again, that's another guy who 
happened to be around for some success that Russell Wilson had. You think Harbaugh? He had a lot of success in the NFL. I, I do. I think Harbaugh would be a great hire. I, I, but, again, if, if you throw the moon at him, I think it could happen. But the Broncos have to make a bold move here because – Hiring a, a retread guy who hasn't won in years, hiring a guy who's never really been a head coach, that doesn't feel like the answer to me. They have to hit a home run. Does Kubiak's, Kubiak's son coaches, right? Yes, I'll get exactly Where's he at right now? Because, was it Clint Kubiak? He's the passing game. Oh, He's well, with the Broncos. He's yeah, never mind. <laughs> I guess the passing he's, game coordinator of the Broncos is sending out a re- right now. He's responsible for this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't hire him. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Never mind. <laughs> Don't hire him. You know, it's funny. Like, and Mackenzie, you may know something about this more than I would. Is, is it possible that Gary Kubiak has another run in him? Like, is is that crazy to think? His age would say it's possible, but I think health-wise, it's it's uh, it's a bridge too far. Ah, that's a bummer. Like I, I think that'd be. I mean, this is a guy who was just coaching in 2021, and you know, a 29-year head coach. This is a guy who, who's been around for a long time. But I mean, that to me might be the best the best they could do. Like bring back someone who's Didn't had. Didn't Urban Meyer say he was never going to coach again because of his heart, and then. Exactly. And and by the way, I want it to be, don't hire Urban Meyer. (laughs) If that's a thought, don't do that. But yeah, this is, uh, to me, Gary Kubiak would be a a good solution in this case. And, And really, he's a guy that if the Broncos hired him and he failed, it's like no one would say that was a dumb idea. Like this guy won a Super Bowl with for you. Like no one's gonna no one's gonna be mad that you hired Gary Kubiak. I, I think that's one hire that the Broncos could make. Where even if it doesn't work out, they wouldn't take too much grief for it failing. I got the perfect idea. Perfect, perfect coach. Okay, Shannon Sharp. No, uh, I got I've got a I've got the perfect coach. Coach Prime. Yeah, <laughs> Coach Prime. He's hey. He's, he's coaching in Colorado. in Colorado already. Listen, yeah, he's already there. He's not Boulder to Denver. It's a short drive. Just hey, you know, there was open a up that Walmart checkbook. There was a time when Dion played a football game and a baseball game in the same day. He could coach he college. He could coach yeah. college on Saturday and pro on Sunday. Yeah, this makes sense. Coach Back. Prime, this makes sense. JJ Watt announced, I guess, sort of announced. He at least hinted at it on social media that. This will be his final season in the NFL. And as someone who was in Houston the entire for the entirety of his career, I will I, I say this, and I did not like a lot about the Houston Texans over the time that I covered them. I thought for the most part, they were a, they were a phony good organization when they were good. And when they weren't good, they were just truly bad. JJ. Watt is the best thing that's ever happened to that franchise. Mm. Uh, this is the, the kind of play he is, and I'm not, this isn't hyperbole. He is a once in a generation fine for a franchise and you, you can't create, create this guy in a lab, a guy who is as good for the city as he was and as good of a football player. It just doesn't happen. He was the total package for the Texans. Um, you know, the last couple of years in Arizona tough, but this is a guy who, didn't didn't really play like a rush end position. It didn't matter wherever you lined him up, he was successful. One hundred and eleven and a half sacks. Wow, fourth amongst active players. Um, and I, I really do think he is the best defensive player of his generation, which says a lot. And I mean, this guy played most of his career right in in the league with Aaron Donald. Uh, who's another freak who Tail doesn't Ray Lewis too. doesn't play right? in a yeah doesn't play a a pass rush position yet somehow gets after the passer constantly but the, I think JJ Watt is arguably the most impactful defensive player of of his generation of his uh, uh of his group of I guess if you go through his career I think he's amongst the top of those guys 3 out of 4 years winning the defensive player of the year yeah 
I, I think you can make an argument. 2014, 2015. I think you can make an argument. He is one of the five or ten best defensive players in the history of the NFL. And I know that's big talk, but this is a guy. And he put up all these numbers while fighting through. Like, the guy was almost always injured. He almost always well, played. It's iconic. The, the, the arm thing that he wears is just iconic. Dude. I mean, it's, it's just nonstop. Guys with three defensive players of the year. J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald. Lawrence Taylor. No, Hall of Famers. All in list. Yeah. Uh, so congrats to J.J. Watt on an incredible And, and career. pretty soon in, in five more years, T.J. Watt. My hope is. <laughs> got one. T.J. Watt's got one. He might, he's going to win another. He might win another one this year. <laughs> well, not this year. No. Well, yeah, he missed too much time. My hope is that J.J. Watt sits out most of next season, and then there's some team who gives him a call late in the year. To win a and says, you know what? Hey, we need a guy. We need somebody who, who can come in here and and like Josh Norman just got signed. Yeah, like there's going to be some team that is close, and they say, you know what? Well, we play with this brother in Pittsburgh. I, I, it was not well. No, I'm talking about a team that has a chance to win the Super Bowl. I I, I would I want to see him have a chance at a ring, and if there's some contender down the stretch next year, four or five games left in the season, says because JJ is going to stay in shape. JJ stays. What if in he shape. goes to the Packers and plays at home in Wisconsin? That's a great call. And if the Packers are contenders next year, I think that's a that's the perfect opportunity. But I I hope that someone gives him a call late next season and says, "Hey, we want you for a playoff run," and and he's able to make it. I, I think that he, nobody Trade deserves to happen. People are saying that Andrew Whitworth should go play for the Bengals now. Yeah, <laughs> I think they kind of laugh that off, yeah. but. It, Listen, he couldn't hurt. Uh, but I do think J.J., if he were able to p- go play for a ring, I think he'd consider doing it. I know he's like – Just come in late in the year. Yep. And just and just be a pass rush specialist coming yeah. on third downs. And give he, he would give his body a chance to sort of recover yeah. a little bit, which is big for him. So, uh, fantastic career for J.J. Probably the, the best football player – uh, that I've covered, I would say. I, I have a hard time picturing, at least in the since I've been covering the NFL, he's the best player that I got to cover. Um, and it, he, just a, a fantastic career that he wraps up. I got to cover Ed Reed for a year, but it, was, it wasn't the good Ed so Reed. So best player in Texans history, J.J. Watt or Andre Johnson? It's J.J. Watt. It's yeah. not close. Okay. It's not close. I will say Kyle Shanahan, my cousin, told me that Andre Johnson was by far the best this was before Julio Jones, by far the best receiver he ever worked with back in the day. That so yeah, I'm not going to say it's close. I'm going to say Andre Johnson was was a dog. You know, he was uh, a I, yeah. Andre Johnson's an easy number two on that list. Yeah, but I don't think there's better players in Texans history. I no, there's not. I mean, it's it's just, like if the Mount Rush, the, the the Texans history isn't long, but Arian Foster. It, it's J.J. Watt. It's uh, it's Andre Johnson. It's probably Dwayne Brown, their their left tackle for uh, for you know it was like nine or ten years. Mm. Um, Merciless. It, no. Merciless. No. It it might be Mario Williams. Oh, nobody wants to say that. Uh, I mean, Mario Williams. I think was had a fine career, but the Texans fans have no love 53 for fifty three sacks in eighty two games. I know. Fantastic player. He, didn't win a natty. <laughs> he wasn't enough. He he'd never lived up to the number one. And this is the greatest thing about being in Houston when JJ Watt was drafted. People were so angry that the Texans took JJ Watt. They did not want him. He, like people were calling him a pizza delivery guy. Like he was he was a he was not a popular pick at all. And then it's like, oh, this guy's actually pretty good. Maybe this was the right move for the Texans, but when he was drafted, you could not find a Texans fan who was like, yep, that's the pick, home run, perfect pick, because every Texans fan, they, they were bummed out. Uh, what did the, you think of the pick? I, I mean, I didn't, know, I, didn't know a ton about, I didn't know a ton about his potential, but I knew I didn't want Christian Ponder or Blaine Gabbert which they, I mean, there were Texans fans at that point saying, Let, "Let's go out and get a quarterback." Uh, I didn't know that. I certainly didn't know he was going to be this. But I had, I had nothing bad to say about the guy. And then once I got to, once I got to know him a little bit, it's, you can't say anything bad about him. He is a genuine dude. He is, he is everything that, like, he presents himself to be. Mm-hmm. When the hurricane happened, he donated a bunch of money. This is one of the few what I think to be really good guys in the NFL. 
who happens to pair that up with being like, again, one of one of the five or ten best defensive players in the history of time. Four bowl games on the schedule for today, beginning at 1 o'clock Eastern, no, 2 o'clock Eastern time. Uh, you got UCF and Duke at the Military Bowl in Annapolis, Maryland. That's at the uh, Naval Academy. In that game, Duke, three-and-a-half-point favorites, total 62-and-a-half. Kansas and Arkansas at the Liberty Bowl in Memphis at the Liberty Bowl Stadium. Arkansas, two-and-a-half-point favorites, total 69. Oregon, <laughs> North Carolina in the Holiday Bowl at Petco Park in San Diego. Oregon, 13-point favorites, total 75. Texas Tech and Ole Miss, the Texas Bowl in Houston at Reliant Stadium, NRG Stadium, That's right. excuse me. Uh, Ole Miss, three-and-a-half-point favorites, total 71-and-a-half. Here was our breakdowns, which you can hear on the College Football Dream Preview, which is available right now. Let's start with the Military Bowl, Central Florida and Duke. Duke we are looking at as minus three, total 62-and-a-half. Um, I'll let you take the lead on the military bowl. Well, UCF is certainly going to be missing some players, right? They're going to be without um, their top wide receiver, Ryan O'Keefe, and he's a huge part of their offense. Although UCF thrives running the football. They're not an error, aired out team like they used to be. Under Gus Malzahn, they have a much more running approach. And the strength of their running game is their quarterback, John Reese Plumley, who is playing in this game. Plumley was banged up at the end of the year. He was a shell of himself in the American Championship game. But now, with a couple of more weeks to rest up and get ready, he should be fine for this game. I don't know. I, I mean, this is a, an injury they were saying was like a six week injury, and it's a hamstring. So it's mm-hmm. all. You, you never know how it's going to heal, but I, and this is the other thing that's scary for Central Florida. Mikey Keene transferred the the guy who's been the backup. Yeah, yeah, they don't. Yeah, he didn't. That's why they had to go with. Uh, They've got no depth that way. Yeah, that's why they had to now. go with the freshman kid or whatever uh, Castellanos, I think is his name, in uh, in, in their bowl game, uh, not in the bowl game, in the championship game. And, and here's the thing, though, I'm not the biggest Riley Leonard fan for Duke. It's not that he. He just doesn't do anything special, but I guess that's what Duke needs. He's not a guy that's going to make so many great plays. He's a guy that's not going to make so many mistakes. And when I when I say that's what Duke needs is because Duke has really thrived this year on not messing games up, right? Not giving the games away. They have not lost a game this year. By double digits. They play every game close. And the only thing that I can do to compare these teams is look at common opponents. There was two common opponents for both schools. UCF beat Georgia Tech 27-10. Duke lost to Georgia Tech 23-20. UCF beat Temple 70-13. Duke beat Temple 30-0. We know that UCF has a better offense than Duke. Duke has the better defense. Duke is, if you want to call them healthier, less opt-outs, sure. I think this is a close game. I think that I'd like to take the points. The fact that I'm getting three and a half with UCF makes me makes me like it. I, I feel like it's a, a good enough, you know, close enough game to grab these points. If you're asking me to pick a winner, I would lean towards Duke because you mentioned a little bit of uncertainty with John Reese Plumley's health. And without having their top receiving options, it, it's it's going to limit the UCF offense. Yeah, and, and listen, UCF's going to be limited on defense, too. Devontae Brown, their best corner, out. Jeremiah Jean-Baptiste, their best linebacker, out. Uh, there, there's a lot of guys who are sitting out for this UCF team. And I think just given the, the, uh, given the possibility that Plumlee's not 100%, Duke feels good to me, like it, because if he's not 100%, this is free money. Mm. Um, uh, clearly, to me, Duke is more motivated. That's why they've got all these guys who are playing that, that, that don't have to be playing. Uh, I think that, that having a coach who's in his first bowl game is a big deal. Sure, well, Gus Malzahn did, ha, <coughs> does have bowl success. They, they beat Florida last year in yeah. a bowl game. But then again, that also meant something. You know, Central Florida, Florida, a little bit of rivalry there. So yep. that, it meant something, little brother syndrome. I, I also think you, you mentioned this, that 
this is not the same offense that no. Central Florida's had the last several years. This is a run-heavy offense. Duke is elite stopping the run, and that is what's going to end up pushing me towards Duke. Yeah. Um, They've held opponents to under 120 yards in five straight games. Yeah, they are 24th nationally yards per game allowed, 18th in success rate allowed. Uh, and on the other side, Central Florida allows over 240 rushing yards in each of their last three games. You can run on this Central Florida team. So uh, I think both teams try to run the ball, so I like an under. Uh, this seems like a big number for a, that. Uh, that is where I, that is what I would lean towards. Yes, I would lean towards the under, and I just think I think it's going to be a close, low-scoring game. If I'm being honest, and especially I like the under, given what I said. There's always the possibility that Plumley just it, it either doesn't play at all or isn't healthy, doesn't play well, mm-hmm. or whatever. I think Plays that that's only a uh, half. Yeah, I, I think that's a bonus. So uh, my leans would be Duke. I, I mean, there's threes and three and a halfs out there. Obviously, if you like Duke, you want a three. If you like Central Florida, you want three and a half. Under 62 and a half, my favorite play on this game. Okay. The Liberty Bowl, Liberty Bibbity, Kansas and our Kansas. <laughs> Not your Kansas, our Kansas. It's always funny when you read it that way. Uh, Arkansas minus two and a half. The total in this game is sitting at 68 and a half. And let's start with the opt-outs. Does that include Barry Odom? (laughs) Well, yeah. For Arkansas, the good news is K.J. Jefferson announced he is coming back and he's going to play in this bowl. Cool. That is the only good news for Arkansas when it comes to opt-outs. They will be without without three of their top wide receivers, without their top tight end, uh, Jaden Hasselwood's opted out. The others are in the transfer portal. All SEC center, Ricky Stromberg opted out. All um, SEC linebacker, Drew um, Sanders opt out. Starting defensive, defensive tackle, Isaiah Nichols out. Linebacker, bumper pool out. There are a lot of opt-outs for a team that I don't fully trust defensively anyhow. Barry Odom, the head coach you mentioned, is, is now the head coach at UNLV. Excuse me, the defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. now the head coach at UNLV. Um, Kansas, on the other hand, they don't have any starters opting out. They are, as you would expect, Kansas is thrilled to be playing in a bowl game. Yeah, they do have a couple uh, injury questions. Lawrence Arnold, their wide receiver, he's got an injury question. Jacob Barcilla, the kicker, is questionable as well. Kansas is bad on defense. That's a known fact. But Arkansas might be worse given what they're going to be putting on the field. They're put like there's going to be freshmen who haven't played all year getting snaps in this game. Uh, I, I like Kansas here. I like the over. Uh, it feels like that Kansas is just more – they're more involved in this game. They're excited about this game. They want to be here. Uh, I, I think they're arguably the better coach team. Yeah. I get, um, Lance Leopold gets the edge over Sam Pittman. Jalen Daniels right now gets the edge, in my opinion, over K.J. Jefferson just because K.J. Jefferson doesn't have any weapons playing for him. Uh, I think that Daniels is going to be able to make plays with his legs in this game. So – I like Kansas a lot. I actually think Kansas wins this game outright. Forget about taking the points. I think Kansas wins this game outright. Well, it sounds like we've got some agreement here because, and you mentioned Daniels and awesome. I think he's great. If if he doesn't work, if the run game's not working, being when he's and he's played a lot this year, the backup is a, the thrower. He's been good. Like I, I think there's a lot of ways to beat this Arkansas team. That again, just the fact it's so basically all their good players besides Jefferson said thanks, but no thanks. All Arkansas is going to do in this game is run with Raheem Sanders. That's it. That's all they have. Yeah, I, I can't. Well, I think KJ Jefferson will run too. Yeah, well, I'm saying they're going to run the ball. It's just going. They're going to try and maintain I, by possession. The, I think they're going to have success. Mm-hmm. I think they will because Kansas defensively again, awful, awful, awful. But this Arkansas defense, Arkansas was not great defensively to begin with. But this version that they're going to be putting out in this game, woof. Uh, I I think this one skyrockets over. Mm -hmm. So Kansas and the over would be my looks here. Let's look at the Holiday Bowl played in sunny San Diego. Ah, the San Diego County Credit Union Holiday Bowl. Listen, they're not paying me. I don't have to mention their sponsor. (laughs) I don't have to do that. North Carolina and Oregon. Interesting game here. Oregon will be without their O.C., they will be at without a couple pieces on defense. North Carolina will be without Josh Downs, their best wide receiver. 
and they will be without most of their secondary who's in the transfer portal. But I don't know that North Carolina not having their secondary is any mm. reason to, like, you know, cry a river. They'll, they stink. Both of these defenses are dreadful. Oregon will be without their best pass rusher in this game, so it could be even worse. I don't know if North Carolina will make a stop in this game, though. I don't know that they – like, Oregon might score every time they get the ball. Worst defense in the ACC. And I do have some concerns about North Carolina without Phil Longo, who's gone to Wisconsin, uh, and, of course, Downs. But I think Drake May – I mean, Drake May, who is playing, I feel like he's going he's gonna to want to show out. This feels like too many points, though, in a bowl game that is going to feel like seven-on-sevens. I'm not willing to lay 13, 14 points with either, either team. I, I like the over. Uh, it, the numbers tick down, actually. It's at 13 now. Kind of, it looks like it's painted 13. It was 14 earlier when I was, you know, when I was mm-hmm. doing my notes. So that tells you that there's, there's some money that's come in on North Carolina. Again, I'm not dying to go out there and, and you know, uh, take these points. But I'm certainly not going to lay 13 with an Oregon team that that I don't totally trust right now. I think this is gonna this game's gonna have fireworks. You have two elite quarterbacks in May and Bo Nix who are gonna just torch both defenses. North Carolina's defense because they stink, and Oregon's defense because they're missing a ton of players. Oregon. Uh, they're the better team. They have the much better offensive line in this game. They'll protect Bo Nix. So if I'm going with a side, I think Oregon has enough firepower on offense and, and certainly the better of the two defenses to win this game by by double digits. I think the over is absolutely in play. I think this is going to be one of the more exciting games that we're going to watch of bowl season just because of both of these quarterbacks. 75. That's a that lot of points. That's a big number. But like this feels like it could be one of those I don't know, 47-44 type games. Like, just back and forth with both of these quarterbacks making play after play after play. I mean, we just saw today, when we're recording this Tuesday night, we saw East Carolina and Coastal Carolina just run up and down the field on each other. Uh, It ends up in the 80s with a hurt quarterback, by the way. Uh, So, yeah, this feels like that that same type of track meet. All right. Boy, it sounds like we're liking a lot of points in these games, like at least the last couple. I like points in this next one, too. The Texas Bowl, Texas Tech and Ole Miss. Ole Miss favored by three and a half total of 71. Both of these teams look like they're going to be mostly intact coming into this game. Uh, and I think, like I said, both these teams are going to have plenty of success on offense. They're, the pace is going to be outstanding in this game. Uh, Tyler Shuck looks like he's going to play. He's going to put on a show. I like Tech defensively in this game. I think they've got some advantages, but even those are minimal. Again, I, I think Tech understands the importance of this game because it is being played in Texas and their recruiting fields. Neither coach is going to take off the gas. Mm. That you know, Lane. When's the last time you saw Lane Kiffin say, "All right, boys, call it off"? No, that doesn't no, no, happen. He scores with a minute left in the game. I, I, and the fact that this game is played indoors, there's no worry that weather is going to impact it. Fast track, 71 feels like a very, very gettable number for a total here. Uh, I lean Texas Tech. I like over 71. I'm the same way. It's Texas Tech and the over for me. Um, you know, Tyler Shuck is going to be able to do whatever he wants against this defense because they don't get after the quarterback. You know, Ole Miss does not pressure the quarterbacks. He's going to sit back and have a ton of time to throw, and that's what happens. I mean, Ole Miss gets torched as far as yardage is concerned. But that's, you know, that's like the price they pay for the the style of play that they do. You know, they score quickly on offense and they put their defense in bad situations. Jackson Dart, definitely capable of doing things with his legs. So I, I do like that aspect of, of Ole Miss's game. I just think both of these teams should be able to put giant numbers up on, both, on, on each other. Um, Ole Miss has a ton of players that... Uh, went into the transfer portal. None of them are really like you know that important starters, uh, but still depth is going to be a concern. And you know, I, I get. I obviously I give the coaching edge to Ole Miss. The defensive edge is not even close. It goes to Texas Tech. The offensive edge goes to Ole Miss. I, I think this is going to be a fun game. This is going to be a fun game to watch. If I had to choose a side, I would take the points because it would not surprise me 
to see Texas Tech win this game. So those are our breakdowns of the four bowl games coming up later on today. To uh, listen to the rest of the College Football Dream Preview podcast, head to RJ Bell's Dream Preview podcast feed where AJ and I go over every game leading you through Friday. And, of course, we'll uh, do another episode coming up this weekend as we get ready for the college football playoffs. Some college football news. Uh, it looks like a, another historically black university has made a former NFL player legend higher as Bethune-Cookman goes out and gets Ed Reed, nine-time Pro Bowler Ed Reed, uh, and Hall of Famer. Ed, I guess I should have started with Hall of Famer Ed Reed. Uh, but I think what they're trying to do here is grab the next Deion Sanders. Does Ed Reed have the flash Deion Sanders does? Certainly not. But we saw the success of Deion. We saw what he did for Jackson State. There's a, which is funny. A lot of people now saying Deion turned his back on Jackson State. Jackson State's gotten more coverage in the last two years than yeah. they've gotten in the and history the of the program. And the money that he spent there is going to you know, help them moving forward. But this is uh, Bethune-Cookman is a, a team that when they were in the MEAC – they won a bunch of championships. They joined the SWAC in 2021 and have struggled. They needed a spark. They fired Terry Sims after going two and nine back-to-back years. And the their athletic director, another name you might know, Reggie Theus, the former uh, NBA player, former Sacramento's Kings coach. He's also their basketball coach. So some big-time names at Bethune-Cookman. What are the odds we have some sort of similar success to what they had at Jackson State? Well, Ed Reed is a Miami guy yep. that can certainly recruit Florida high school. And Bethune-Cookman, located in Florida, yeah. certainly he should be able to maybe steal some of the best in-state talent and recruit them to play for Bethune-Cookman. Some, not all of them, not the kids that are going to go to Alabama or Clemson. Yeah, yeah, but no some, doubt. Some of the, you know, instead of going to Florida Atlantic, they might go to Bethune-Cookman instead. And he, Reed has been at Miami the last few years. Mm-hmm. He was a senior advisor under Mario Cristobal. And if you if you don't know, Ed Reed from Louisiana, when you've got ties to Florida and Louisiana, mm-hmm. boy, you can do some recruiting. Sure. And uh, those are two of the most important states to uh, to to have your your claws in if you're recruiting. So Ed Reed, uh, this is a, a big opportunity for him and a big opportunity for Bethune Cookman if he can make it work. College basketball getting into full swing again after the holiday break. SEC action kicking off, uh, and there's one big game in the Big East where UConn who now looks like they may be the best team in the country. They host Villanova, who is a 12-and-a-half-point dog. I don't know that Villa, I, I, Villanova may not have been a 12-and-a-half-point dog in 15 or 20 years. Like, that's how long it's been. So a lot of love for the UConn Huskies right now. This is a big test for them, and it's a big test for Villanova to see if they've really fallen as far as people think they have. Uh, should be an interesting matchup tonight, but a full slate of SEC and big action, or excuse me, big East action going on tonight. Plenty of hockey tonight uh, and today, not just in the NHL. The World Junior still going on. The United States will take on Slovakia at Four o'clock Eastern time, USA minus three and a half goals. Total is seven. The U.S. winning their opening match against Latvia 4-1 and uh, Slovakia losing 5-2 to Finland in their opening game. So uh, I do like the United States here. They put up almost 50 shots on goal against Latvia, so they should be able to generate a ton of offense here. I played the over seven in the United States' first game, and it pushed with a 5-2 finish, so I might uh, go that way again here, but I do like the United States. I would lay the three-and-a-half goals. They should win this one, maybe like a 6-1-7-2 type score. Uh, Elsewhere, you got uh, the Canadians back in action after their shocking loss in their opening game to the Czech Republic. They lost 5-2. The Canadians, the defending champs, they are the favorites to win this championship. They're five-and-a-half goal favorites over Germany. Total is seven 
second and a half. Germany lost their first match to Sweden 1-0. So they did not generate much offense. But the interesting part about that game, Sweden was coming off an 11-0 win over Austria. So you know that they can score, and Germany did a good job of limiting Sweden's offense. Yes, it was the second day back-to-back games for Sweden, but still, Germany did well defensively. Canada might have trouble scoring if the Germans play a similar type of defensive game, but after losing that first game and considering that they're going to need goal differential to be in their favor with every win now, because they got to win their next two games and they're going to need goal differential. Maybe it's not this game that they cover the five and a half, but maybe it's the final game where they play against Austria, where they do cover a large spread of five and a half, six and a half goals. There's going to be a game that's pretty similar to like the, the, the 11, nothing win for Sweden over Austria. Oh, by the way, the Czech Republic won nine, nothing over Austria yesterday. So Canada might win 10, nothing or something like that. That's what happens in these world tournaments Uh, on the ice in the NHL. Biggest game is going to be the devils and the Bruins Boston coming off of a loss last night in Ottawa in overtime, second night of a back to back. They will take on the devils who I think the Christmas break might help them. This is a team that plays with a ton of energy. They're young, they're fast. And as I wrote about a couple of times when previewing Devils games, I felt that their intensity wasn't sustainable for the length of the season. The fact that now they went through their struggles, they you know suffered a losing streak, they snapped the losing skid, and now they had a couple of days off to kind of hit the reset button. Wouldn't be surprised in a big game if uh, against the, the big Eastern Conference opponent in the Bruins that the Devils at home play with the intensity that they played with early on in the season. Might look at the Devils as a home underdog tonight. If you would like to get a pick from myself, AJ, McKenzie, Anybody at pregame.com, plenty of incredible offers for you available. First off, new members get $25 right away. So if you haven't signed up for pregame.com, what are you waiting for? Get your free $25 and buy a free best bet package. Plus, if you are a current pregame.com member, get this, AJ. You have 23% sitting in your shopping cart. What? Already. All current pregame members have a 23% discount sitting in their shopping cart. That's our gift to you. As part of pregame's New Year's celebration. So if you're not a member, you're missing out, but you can still get a free best bet with your free $25 new member credit when you sign up. As for you guys, listeners of this podcast, to celebrate the new year, we're going to give you 20% off for anything at pregame.com if you use the promo code TOAST. 20 toast to the new year toast to the winners toast is what I'm going to eat after this podcast (laughs) with a little bit of butter margarine, excuse me. Toast 20 is the promo code. Go to pregame.com sign up. If you haven't, and if you have signed up, enjoy your discount on us from Mackenzie rivers and AJ Hoffman. I'm Scott. We are straight out of Vegas. And.